Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. We're in the midst of the annual legislative session, and we have more than our share of bombshell bills coming out of Tallahassee. Restrictions on abortions, more restrictions on voting rights, preemption of local government control. We'll talk about that and plenty more with our guests. Mary Ellen Kloss is the Capitol Bureau Chief for the combined Miami Herald-Tampa Bay Times-Tallahassee Bureau, where she covers government and politics and focuses on investigative and accountability issues. And Mitch Perry is a longtime Tampa Bay journalist who covers politics for Spectrum Bay News 9. Welcome to Florida Matters, guys. Great to be here. Good to be here. Thank you. All right. First question. Last year, we saw a lot of bills passed in the last session by legislators that eventually got bogged down in the courts. You know, the anti-riot bill, a cap on donations to Citizens Initiative, ban on vaccine passports, that sort of thing. But that hasn't slowed down the Republicans who control state government. Are they doubling down on that kind of strategy again this year? I'm happy to jump right in. Um, it's an election year and it's a high stakes election year. It's a year in which we have the entire legislature on the ballot because of redistricting, which is usually it's staggered for the House, for the Senate members. We've got the, all the cabinet and we've got the governor's office. It's also the midterms. So the strategy here is to get the headlines promote and energize the base for the Republican Party. And the way they do that is to launch these often very divisive, sometimes unconstitutional proposals and see how far they can go with that. And then if it takes the courts to put the brakes on, that's what will happen. But the strategy is pretty much the same as it was last year, and it seems to be working. And the fact that this is an election year with the governor up for re-election and his site's possibly set on higher office, that probably increases the little bit of the fire on the flames, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the head, at the top of the ticket is um, Governor Ron DeSantis, and he seems to be more focused on a national audience and what, you know, what his messaging will do to keep the national Republican base excited about him, which has helped his fundraising in a, in a significant way. Let's talk about some of these bills. You know, the first uh, bill that uh, comes to mind is the 15-week abortion ban. Uh, this has undergone some modifications uh, a little bit recently. Uh, can you talk about that? There may be modifications that people are thinking might come up with that. Um, right now, the measure sponsored by Lakeland Republican Kelly Stargell would mandate that abortion can only be legal up to 15 weeks. That's, of course, similar to the Mississippi bill that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to decide on later this year. I think there could be potentially uh, some amendments made to what right now this bill does not include exceptions for rape and incest. Uh, I can't recall a measure. Well, then again, uh, there haven't been there have been more incremental measures the legislature has done on abortion rights in recent years. But this is this is going pretty big, right? This is going, and we're seeing other states do something similar to this. This is not as far as the Texas bill which of course would make makes abortion legal only after uh, no, no longer illegal after six weeks. 
But you know, we'll have to see if that's going to happen or not. Some people are speculating that could happen, that they might include that and make it make it seem a little more mainstream. But nevertheless, you know, they're going full bore on this. And this is going to be critical, right? Because uh, the Supreme Court, there's a lot of speculation. The Supreme Court may strike down Roe v. Wade later this year. Then it's going to go come down to the states. And how do the states decide this? And what we're seeing from the legislature right now is the states, you would be much more prohibitive to be able to get an abortion here in the state of Florida. Right. There has been an effort to propose some amendments to this legislation as it's moved through the House and the Senate. Those, um, for example, there was an amendment that would have allowed for an exemption for pregnancies from rape and incest and human trafficking, but the Senate committee rejected that. So this bill does continue to be, um, I think the principal goal here is that if the U.S. Supreme Court does revise or reject Roe v. Wade based on the um, cases that are in front of it, that Florida is in line and ready to go with this abortion ban. And so whether or not we see that modification get implemented, we'll wait and see. I suspect, I mean, even though the Republican legislature has moved far to the right it has traditionally not been as aggressive on abortion-related measures as other states in the South. And so I think we will see some watering down of this proposal, but I think there is no doubt that a 15-week ban is very likely to pass. What do you all think about the implications at the polls later this year if that does pass? Um, some people believe that maybe this will fire up the Democratic base uh, in opposition to this sort of uh, behavior we're seeing from Tallahassee. Do you, do you think that this will have some implication in November at all? Yeah, let me pick up on that. Um, it might. I think it's you can't predict for certain. I do think it's interesting, though, right, because Florida, OK, yeah, it's trending more red and there are more officially now registered Republicans than Democrats. But still, if not a classic battleground state, it's, it's you know, it's not a in terms of the population, the voting population is not it's not a pure red state like the other states in the south here. Right. So see me. I think this could be for Democrats uh, definitely something to fire people up. I know it's been considered something that it's and people have written about this for years nationally that. You know, it's one of these issues, abortion rights is that that really move voters single. There are some single issue voters here, but that hasn't really, you know, redounded to the for Democrats uh, in any way, shape or form in recent years. But you really do now have for the first time. Right. Potentially what happens when we'll find out in late June, early July, when the Supreme Court rules on that Mississippi law, which, again, is similar to the one that they're proposing here in the legislature, you may really have. Uh, if not Roe v. Wade struck down, severely weakened. And if this law is in place there, I think that there could be, uh, I mean, gosh, those Democrats need um, need energy, right, to get their folks to the polls here. It's been a, a dismal last few years for the party. I think this could be, if anything, that we'll be talking about in Tallahassee this session, because a lot of things happen in Tallahassee that people leave the session, they go, oh my God, we're going to run again, we're going to run hard against this. And nobody remembers it in November, but they're going to remember abortion, abortion rights. All right, let's talk about voting rights now that we're in November. Uh, there were bills uh, sponsored by Senator Travis Hudson that would um, mollify, it would create a new standalone unit to uh, look at election law violations. What's been going on with that? That has been modified a little bit in the uh, in the past week as well, hasn't it, Marianne? 
Yes, it's been very interesting. So the governor um, made an announcement in the fall that he wanted to see, you know, he was kind of jumping on the idea, of the national talking points about fraud in the, the 2020 election. And um, he proposed that Florida had come up with its own its own special task force and special department that would focus on voter fraud in Florida. And he suggested it include 52 employees with 20 sworn officers and have, you know, a big budget. Now the Senate has come up with its version of that and scaled it down quite a bit, which was kind of an interesting dynamic here. It has agreed to create a department that would be focused on election-related fraud, but it's going to have half the number of employees the governor said, much smaller budget, and no sworn officers. So what we traditionally have been watching with with Governor DeSantis and the legislature is the governor comes out with his big idea. He gets a lot of headlines and attentions on on that. Then it is up to the legislature to actually write the rules. And they they have, in a number of cases, everything from the vaccine mandates to uh, liability relating to COVID and, and a number of other areas they water it down and make it a little bit more palatable for their members to support. And that's what we're seeing with this election reform proposal. And also, uh, Steve, it's interesting. So I watched the Senate Senate committee hearing on this last week. And just like with uh, parts of Senate Bill 90, the the, uh, election reform measure that passed in 2021, you are getting pushback from supervisors of elections and Republican supervisors of elections, people like Lake County's Alan Hayes, and one of the things that they're objecting to now as part of this new proposal is that there would be an, a new certificate uh, envelope when completing a vote-by-mail ballot. And this ballot would need to be placed inside a secrecy sleeve that would be placed inside the certificate envelope and then placed inside the return mailing envelope. Uh, the legislation specifically says that ballots received without the certificate envelope will not be counted. And we heard supervisors of elections say, that they have a problem right now with voters not filling out the two ballot, the two envelopes, right? And they have to try to cure that ballot. And they think this third one, it's going to be, it's going to cost a lot more money and it's going to be a, a paperwork nightmare. And again, as Mary Ellen says about how some of these, uh, the legislature changes some of these things. Uh, we saw with SB 90, it really had a lot, you know, some people would say it's still, you know, obviously it's, there's uh, groups going to court, federal court against it, but nevertheless, it was not ultimately as draconian as it first appeared. And we'll have to wait and see. And it'll be really interesting to see how this bill goes through the committee process to see what ends up happening there. But nevertheless, there's going to be an election reform bill, a second one since the last election, an election which the governor and others said was a model election for the rest of the country. And so this goes into playing about what we talked about in terms of the governor trying to, uh, you know, have his 2024 credentials be enhanced here, if you will, because all these other GOP-controlled states that in many cases lost, uh, you know, Donald Trump lost in 2020, that's where you've seen all these measures happening. There's always been interesting when in Florida, where, of course, Donald Trump won by three points, why we're doing this. But it's to stay with the Joneses, if you will. Well, one way that uh, political parties in power can stay in power longer is through the redistricting process. Once every 10 years from the U.S. Census uh, figures, the legislature gets to redraw the, the district maps here. Now, traditionally, this has been the purview of the legislature, but the governor has jumped in with his own map. Marielle, could you address that, the whole dynamics behind that and what's going on with redistricting? 
Yeah. So as you mentioned, the governor has proposed his own map, and we really have never seen a governor openly propose a map before. I'm very sure that because the governor has veto authority over the congressional map, and he doesn't have any ability to to veto the legislative map, the only map he weighed in on is, is the congressional one. And the legislature did something very interesting. They didn't change their maps based on his proposal. Um, And I think that is because behind the scenes, they are questioning whether he has, whether he is setting them up for rejection by under the Voting Rights Act. So what he has done is gone to the, the Florida Supreme Court and asked them for an advisory opinion. And he wants to know whether or not they would agree with him that drawing a congressional map that reduces the number of minority majority seats is acceptable. His argument is that there's a a North Florida district that stretches all across the panhandle, and that uh, is a violation of some new decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court um, since the last redistricting cycle. And he thinks that it's time to dismantle that Black district. He also proposes to, to change the district in Orlando that's now currently held by Val Demings, and the North Florida district is held by Al Lawson. Both are Black Democrats. So I think this is just the first of what is going to be a long, drawn-out legal fight over the status of these minority districts in Florida. And it's definitely um, raises the question of whether or not they're trying to set up a case so that the U.S. Supreme Court could potentially change or even dismantle the Voting Rights Act. And the governor, uh, speaking of that 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 district held by uh, Al Lawson, uh, it kind of looks like a Rorschach test on the, on the map. Uh, some people think it's gerrymandered uh, to keep a minority-majority district. He has invoked the Fair Districts Amendment, which uh, voters passed several years ago to prevent this kind of gerrymandering. That's probably not what the voters had intended when they passed this amendment, I would imagine. Well, so the voting rights, the Fair District Amendment has a provision that says that you cannot diminish the ability of minority voters to elect a representative, which some have said freezes in time what we had when the first Fair Districts map was passed. So that was in 2010. The Florida Supreme Court, and then validated by the federal court, ordered the legislature to produce maps that ultimately look the way they look, which is this very stretched out over a hundred mile district in North Florida that is designed to elect a black candidate. So the governor is arguing that that is a violation of, there needs to be more, that there's another Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court opinion that came down that called for more compact districts in, and they must be in, in their words, a more cohesive geographic area. And, you know, Steve, um, this has got a lot of interest for us here in the Tampa Bay area, of course, when it comes to the congressional maps, because both in Hillsborough and Pinellas County, they're going to change and how they ultimately change is could really change the re- representation here. Um, it, after the, the courts uh, battle back in, uh, I think, about 2015, we saw uh, Congressional District 13 in Pinellas County uh, be tr- changed in a way that it allowed Democrat Charlie Crist to win the seat in 2016. That was the first time 
in decades, if ever, the Pinellas County seat had gone to a, um, a Democrat, right? Uh, Bill Young had had the seat for uh, 40 years, uh, and then David Jolly held on to it shortly after that. But then the district became much more democratically leaning after the redrawing, after the courts went through that. Some of the proposals, we've got, we've got different maps here, but all of them will ultimately be more favorable to a Republican. Does not mean a Republican will win that race uh, this year, uh, but it's wide open. Uh, and it'd probably be leaning Republican because if you just believe that this is going to be a GOP wave year, and Pinellas is leaning a little more redder uh, seemingly in the last couple of years. So we've got a wild race there. We've got at least seven or eight major candidates in that race. And then, of course, uh, Kathy Castor here in the Tampa Hillsborough area has had that seat since 2006. That's been a solidly Democratic seat. But some of these drawings of that Hillsborough map lap into Pinellas and make it much more make it a much more competitive race. And again, we want the wait and see. Nothing definitive yet on this, but there's great interest, obviously, about what ultimately comes out of it. We're talking about some of the bills coming out of the state capitol during the halfway point in Florida's annual legislative session. We'll have much more right after this short break. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. We're talking about some of the more contentious bills that may soon become law now that we're about halfway through the legislative session in Tallahassee. Our guests are Mary Ellen Kloss, the Capitol Bureau Chief for the Combined Miami Herald-Tampa Bay Times-Tallahassee Bureau, and Mitch Perry, who covers politics for Spectrum Bay News 9. All right. So uh, one of the things I'd like to talk to you about is it kind of flies under the radar of most people out there, and that's preemption. Preemption of local control has been kind of a blood sport in Tallahassee the last couple of years. Now the so-called mother of all preemption bills is coursing through the House and Senate. It would basically allow businesses to file lawsuits seeking damages from municipalities that enact ordinances that have caused a 15% reduction in their profits or revenues. Uh, basically, some people believe this gives businesses a veto power over local governments. Mary Ellen, that was watered down a little recently, too. You know, this is one of those proposals that was a big idea, but a lot of Republicans, many of them who came from local government, were very uncomfortable with it. So the bill has been moving very aggressively through the Senate. It is has been watered down from allowing any business to file a lawsuit against an ordinance if it if they found the ordinance caused them to lose their profits. Um, now you have to be in business at least three years. There's a, a number of other restrictions on who can file a lawsuit. And they also have put a process in place that fast tracks through the court system that would have to be resolved before somebody could actually obtain the damages that they seek. But this is looked at as something that will really have an effect on local communities where citizens' initiatives are pushed through. Let's say a, a community votes to impose a fertilizer ban because they're, you know, they want to protect their water sources. The city of Key West in 2020 voted to ban cruise ships that were over a certain size because it felt that that was hurting the the um, the coral reef in the and the protected waters there, but the um, this provision would instead of having to go to the Florida legislature to reverse those kinds of local decisions and local initiatives, now this would give businesses the opportunity to just punish local governments by making them pay up, 
And um, that continues to be a very, a very charged proposal. And I'll tell you, it's gotten, it's gotten legs in the Senate, but we haven't quite watched it get the same traction in the House. All right, I'd like to ask both of you this question, you know, riffing on that. Do you see a trend here, you know, the whittling down of voting rights, the mandates on anti-rioting, preemptions, and what local governments can or can't do? Is there a bigger picture here of maybe some kind of heavy-handed one-party rule going on? Well, I mean, Steve, the numbers are the numbers, right? The the Republicans overwhelmingly, well, in the House, they have an overwhelmingly large uh, advantage. In the Senate, it's closer but they still have uh, a solid majority. And that has not changed at all in two decades now, right? I mean, the last Democratic governor was in 1998, Watt and Childs. And again, I think, you know, on an electoral level, this is the state has been a, a swing state in presidential elections, we know, for the last 20 years or so. Uh, will that continue to be the case, I think, is, is, is something that Democrats don't want to acknowledge. But the fact is, you know, Florida was decided pretty early in, in November of 2020 for Donald Trump. So what the GOP is doing in terms of they've got the numbers and it's always been, I think, you know, Mary Ellen has been there for, for years and decades can talk more about this. But I think in the past years, I remember when Jack Latifala, for example, was was there from, from Pinellas. He was somewhat of a moderate and, and Tom Lee, for example, here in Hillsborough, right? You did have some more moderates in the Senate who could kind of um, stop some of the more uh, harder charged uh bills go through and that's no longer the case and so and then you have a real strong governor in in uh ron desantis who was really behind a lot of this stuff pushing a lot of this uh all these culture war measures that is maybe more pronounced than in recent years you know i i'll just mention that the republican establishment has used the power of its majority to settle political arguments using legislation and um, they control it completely. And so what we are watching is an effort to strengthen and consolidate that control while they still have it. And that's why, you know, they're, in addition to the preemption bill, there's, there's legislation that's moving that would restrict what constitutional amendments people can put forth. The initiative would basically say you couldn't do things like legalizing marijuana or raising the minimum wage, it would actually have to be limited to what is the specific function of government, something a little more process driven. And so you couldn't have, you know, for years, the legislature, people have come forward with ideas for allowing casino gambling, um, you know, legalizing medical marijuana. And the, and the conservative legislature has refused to take up those bills. So voters have bypassed the legislature by coming forward with citizens' initiatives. By weakening the ability of citizens to do that, they manage to consolidate and concentrate their power in the legislative process. And as long as they can continue to do that, they can write the rules. And so it becomes less of a democratic uh, representation and a little bit more autocratic. And and that is a trend we have definitely watched happen um, for the last 30 years. Yeah. So elections do have consequences. And, you know, by the way, that measure that uh, uh, Mary Ellen's mentioning, the Citizen Initiative, that's being uh, pushed by uh, Hillsborough County's uh, Mike Beltran, actually. That's a joint resolution that would uh, be a constitutional amendment if it gets through. In the wake of the last couple of years where they really limited the Citizen Initiative uh, ability for, for folks, you've got to have 
millions, if not tens of millions now to try to get something through, to get on the ballot. All right, Mitch Perry, any other uh, bills of particular importance to the Tampa Bay area that we've kind of just skimmed the surface here? Well, you know, I was looking more at like what local lawmakers and what they're pushing. You know, one thing that I did a story on this during the holidays, actually, I think it's kind of a, a, a bipartisan thing that maybe will get passed, maybe it won't. Uh, Artie Zika out of Pasco County, he has a measure that would require insurance companies to provide hearing aids for children under 18. And this is a bill that uh, has already passed the Senate and yet has not yet got a hearing in the House. Uh, and that, I think that was the same situation last year. Other local lawmakers that of note here, we know Jeff Brandis uh, from uh, St. Petersburg. This is his last year in the, in the legislature, in the Senate, I should say. Uh, he, of course, has been a champion of criminal justice reform, but he hasn't necessarily gotten many of those measures passed because a lot of his colleagues on the GOP side haven't gone along with it. They haven't moved the Senate, but not so much in the House. And I think even the House of another local lawmaker, Diane Hart, here in Tampa, she has also been uh, you know, pushing for similar measures. And those bills haven't been passed in recent years. And that was before we've had this new kind of upsurge in crime in the last year or two since the uh, coronavirus, really, and since uh, the protests in the summer of 2020. So I doubt there's going to be even more of that or much of that even happening in the rest of this session, which is, you know, something, again, that both Brandis and Hart have really kind of created a space for themselves as being leading that at charge and really, unfortunately, not really getting very far on it. Mary Ellen Kloss, uh, any other issues you think are of particular importance to the to the voters out there that uh, we, we haven't touched on? I think it's a really interesting thing to be watching what um, is happening at the school board level and school level. They, they, you know, not only are pushing forward this bill that makes it a penalty for for local school districts to talk about anything that a parent might consider critical race theory. They're also trying to make sure that all school board elections are partisan. And the last thing we saw, and the latest thing we saw last week was where the House included in its budget proposal a penalty that would basically take $200 million from a dozen school districts that defied the governor when they enacted mass mandates last year. You know, they say they want to take the money from non-school administrators and not teachers, but they would still withhold that money from, from those districts. And it's just another example of the penalizing approach of using the budget as a weapon. And also, I think, of um, kind of enforcing an ideology on these locally elected officials, whether they're from the school boards or your city council as it relates to preemption. But these, these are trends that we're going to continue to see. And it's an election year, I think, I think that schools are going to be a hot-button election fight. All right. Uh, anything else you all want to talk about that I have neglected to ask you? Well, I would just pick up on that. There's also uh, what the uh, Equality Forward is calling the Don't Say Gay uh, bill, a bill that would bar school districts from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity. Also regarding uh, the, a measure also sponsored by uh, Joe Bruders out of Sarasota that would require school district superintendents to certify the State Department of Education all that all teaching materials align with state standards and any type of review for instruction set up by districts must include parents of children within the public schools. Uh, supporters say it's a pro-parents bill. Critics say it could lead to book banning. All right. There's a lot of issues we have barely touched the surface on, so uh, we'll uh, continue to monitor this and we'll probably 
get back in touch with you after the end of the legislative session. I'd like to thank Mary Ellen Kloss, the Capitol Bureau Chief for the combined Miami Herald, Tampa Bay Times, Tallahassee Bureau, and Mitch Perry, Tampa Bay journalist who covers politics for Spectrum Bay News 9. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. You can catch up on our recent shows and the latest news from Florida Matters and WUSF via Twitter, Facebook, or WUSF Instagram page, or by podcast so you can listen to us anytime you want. Our producer is Denora Prevost. I am Steve Newborn. We'll catch you next week on our next edition of Florida Matters.